All right, good morning, Grace Valley. In beautiful sunshine this morning. Maybe you've heard, but a couple weeks ago, a woman up near South River, that's near Algonquin, went to a, a thrift store and she was searching through some old discarded paintings and she found a nice little painting and it claimed to be painted by David Bowie, the, the singer, uh, for, and it was only $5. And so she thought, why not? I'll buy it. She brought it home. She did some investigating, some research, and it turned out it was genuine. It was a real painting. She contacted a, an art collector, and he said, this, this painting, this, this could sell for $10,000, maybe a bit more. And she sold it. But it didn't sell for $10,000 or $12,000. It sold for over $100,000. What looked like a nice little painting turned out to be more valuable than anyone realized at first. Well, if you're like me, and you've grown up in the church, and you've heard lots of Bible stories, or perhaps you're here today investigating Christianity, trying to figure out what is this about, it can be tempting to hear a story like our text today and think, what a nice little story, and move on. But, my hope is today that if we were to investigate, examine the story, the picture the story presents us, that we would find riches more greater and more valuable than we ever first realized. You see, Matthew, the author of this gospel, is very intentional in the way he is writing this. Matthew has a goal. He wants to confront us and astonish us with the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew wants us to be able to see and believe that Jesus is greater than anyone who has come before him. That Jesus is both sovereign and powerful. And his love is transforming. That Jesus is the Savior who is able and who is willing to save his people. And so we're going to try to, to use our imaginations and try to enter the world of this text, this story, try to understand things from their perspective. And then we're going to look at two points that hopefully show us the value of Christ. Leprosy in the Bible is a bit of a broader term. It could refer to a number of different skin diseases or mold diseases. And leprosy, as we might think of it, comes to the Middle East later. But in the book of Leviticus, it describes what leprosy, some of the symptoms of what leprosy would have been like. Your, your skin would grow pale white, your hair abnormally white. You, you'd begin to develop scabs, boils, raw flesh over your head and your arms and your body. And later, when, when the leprosy we often think about comes, you would develop lesions that the cartilage in your fingers and your toes would begin to be absorbed so enough time goes by and you'd become deformed. Your nerves would be attacked, which at first would be quite painful until you could no longer feel any pain. Your vocal cords would be attacked and long enough, your voice 
Look at Raspy. It was quite common for them to go blind. So disfigured. Raspy voice, weak, blind. Not something too many of us can relate to. But perhaps in small ways. Have you ever had that wound, that cut, that deep wound that just took forever to heal? And maybe it wasn't too painful, but in the shower, if that hot water hit it, that would wake you up. Or maybe you've had a minor skin disease. As a boy, I had a case of eczema for years on my shoulders. And it wasn't painful, but I hated to be looked at. I hated when my shoulders were exposed. I felt tremendous shame when others looked at me. Maybe chicken pox, or if you've ever had a poison ivy rash. If you're a teenager or an adult, pimples. They all bring a level of, of, of pain or, or discomfort or shame. Those are maybe small ways, a tiny window into the world of a leper. And for a Jew, this fate would seem worse than death itself. Why? Well, in Leviticus 13, if you woke up one day and you started to show symptoms, you would go to the priest, present yourself, and, and he would examine you. And if you were really showing symptoms, you would have to quarantine. You'd have to isolate for seven days. And after seven days, you'd come back, come to the priest, he'd look at you again. If things hadn't got better, if things got worse, another seven days. So 14 days possibly in quarantine. I wonder if any of us have ever experienced that. But for the, and for teenagers, you might be thinking, two weeks without mom and dad, not so bad. But for a Jew, this would be terrifying because your life hanged in the balance in these two weeks. This is in part because Leviticus makes it clear that the earlier forms of leprosy were contagious. But also... Because as God's holy people, God's chosen people, the Israelites were to be ritually clean if they were to be in the presence of God. You see, God in his holiness demands absolute purity to be around him. And of the many ways in which scripture speaks of sin, one of the ways scripture uses to help us understand the seriousness of sin is that sin, like diseases, like sickness, can defile us can make us dirty, that sin can be contagious and spread, that sin makes us spiritually unclean before a holy God. And as leprosy, as one of the worst diseases imaginable, becomes a powerful spiritual metaphor of our condition by ourselves before God. Now, to be clear, the point is not that every time someone gets sick, that it is a judgment from God or a punishment for him, or they sinned and that's why they're sick. No, not at all. God is sovereign, but there is lots of, of, of mystery we do not know. The point is that sickness can only happen in a fallen world after the curse. And that sickness gives us a physical picture, helps us see a spiritual reality. And it was so serious and it was so contagious that after these 14 days, after these two weeks, if the disease continued, you would be banished from your community. You would have to live outside the camp. You would be forced out of your home. 
your job, your living. You'd have to scrounge a living in the countryside, a life of destitution and poverty, and away from your loved ones, your spouse, your kids, your friends. Goodbye. And once diagnosed as a, as a visible sign to others that you were unclean, you would have to wear rags, leave your hair uncut. And if clean people, if healthy people ever approached you, you would have to cry out, Tame! Tame! I'm clean! I'm clean! I'm unclean! People, many of, you, many of whom you would have known your whole life, would want nothing to do with you. Forget about it. And people would look at you with fear, with, with, with anger, with judgment. What he did to deserve that. Even something as simple as the touch of another person would become a distant memory. Because if you were clean and you touched a leper, you yourself would be considered unclean. No one touched a leper and remained clean. And since there hadn't been a cleansing of leprosy since the days of Elisha, centuries ago, you'd be hopeless. No one is cleansed of leprosy. You would be, maybe to flip the blessing we often hear, you would feel like God had turned his face away from you and removed his peace. And so we come to the leper today. There's lots we don't know about him, his age, his name. But we do know that he would have lost everything in his life, that, that leprosy was costly. It cost you everything. And that is why it was worse than death for the Jew. And like any leper, he would have known suffering, and he would have to come to terms with, this is my life. This is my fate. But, maybe you can imagine, some fellow lepers are gathering around the morning campfire. Must got to get that coffee. And they start chatting about any news, any gossip they've heard. And you know, people start talking about this this strange rabbi, this odd teacher, wandering the countryside, and he's teaching. You know, people say he's a pretty good teacher. You know, and you know what? He doesn't even quote other rabbis. He talks as if he's his own authority. He talks as if he's God. He just drives the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Zealots. He drives them all crazy. It's quite funny. And you know what? People say he's kind. They say he's powerful, that, that he heals the sick. He's wandering around, he's healing people, he's preaching. Some say he might be Elijah. I've even heard a couple say he's the Messiah. I'm just telling you what I heard. Calm down. You want to know his name? They call him Jesus of Nazareth. And so our leper sets out to find Jesus. And one day, he comes across this, this massive crowd. We read about Matthew 5. Probably keeps his distance. Others are probably keeping their distance from him. He overhears others mention that this is Jesus up on the mount, up on the hill, preaching. We don't know if he got to listen to the Sermon on the Mount, or if he's just off in the distance, trying to get a glimpse. But at long last, in verse 1, Matthew tells us that Jesus comes down the mountain. There's a crowd following behind him. And our leper waits for the right moment. I mean, people are not going to be happy to see you. People are repulsed by you. And he approaches Jesus. Matthew doesn't tell us, but if he followed the Leviticus law, he would have yelled, I'm clean, I'm clean! 
Jesus of Nazareth, I'm unclean. I just want to warn you. And that certainly would have got the crowd moving out of the way. People would be flying over the lawn chairs to get away. Jesus, do you see what Jesus does not do? Jesus does not tell him, go away. Jesus does not even tell him, keep his distance. Uh, just please stand back by the tree. Thank you. No, Jesus lets him come near. The man approaches, and he gets on his knees. A sign of respect and humility. And maybe, if it was the leprosy we think of, he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now notice here, the leper doesn't demand. The leper does not presume. Well, Jesus, you're a healer. This is your job. Come on, heal me. Please, please. What can I give you? No, he asks humbly and sincerely in faith for Jesus to heal him. He asks with great faith because on one hand, he knows no one is healed of leprosy. And on the other hand, he believes, but Jesus, you are different. I have never met anyone like you or heard of anyone like you. I believe you're able still. What's impossible with man is possible with God. In verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand. Maybe you can imagine the disciples, Ah, Jesus, 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 I just want to remind you, they have leprosy. If you touch him, Jesus, you're going to become unclean. That's going to throw up, that's going to throw off the mission. Jesus, don't touch him. And Jesus touched the man. He touched the untouchable. I am willing, Jesus says, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Not five days, not five hours, not pills every two. Immediately the boils, the rotten skin, the deformities, gone, brought back to life. How that would have looked, it is hard to imagine. But it would have been astonishing. In verse 4, Jesus says, Don't tell anyone. Now, why would Jesus say this? There's debate over this. Maybe it's because Jesus is happy to perform his good deeds in front of others, but Jesus does not perform them for the praise of men. Jesus is not interested in collecting the most likes or retweets or increasing his brand name. No, this is between Jesus and the man and those beholding. It is a, a faithful sign of who he is to them first. And then he is to, to go to the priest, prove that he's clean. This isn't a trick. You're going to go to them. It will be lawful and you'll be declared clean. And then you have to offer the gift of Moses. So you're going to have to follow Leviticus 14, the sacrificial system. And being so poor, there was special provision made. Maybe if you could try to find a lamb and two little birds, maybe two doves or two pigeons. And they would serve as an offering of your, your sin, your guilt, and as a burnt offering, a, a testimony, a, a praise to the Lord. And this would be a testimony to the priests. And if you think about this just for just a second, if you're a priest and you're worth anything, 
No one's been cleansed of leprosy in over 500 years. And only God can cleanse leprosy in your mind. And here comes a man who says, A rabbi touched me and said, Be clean. And I was immediately cleansed. Might that raise your curiosity? Who is this man who does what only God can do? And so the man, a former leper, would go on his way soon to go home. A cleansed leper. A new man. And so as we reflect on this story, two points must grab our minds and hearts. First, we must see that, that Jesus is the sovereign Lord who is able to cleanse us. Jesus is the sovereign Lord who is able to cleanse us. Remember, Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus has just taught the, the greatest sermon ever preached. Matthew, from 5 to 7, chapters 5 to 7. And the people at the end of chapter 7, if you, if you have your Bibles or your phone, if you flip back, back, at the end it says, everyone is astonished. He teaches with such authority. Who teaches like this? Jesus' word has power in his teaching. Well, now Matthew begins to show us that Jesus doesn't teach powerfully. He does, but quite more than that, his word is far more powerful than anyone realizes. Jesus is powerful enough, his word is powerful enough, that it can even cleanse leprosy. You see, it had been a long time since anyone had been cleansed of leprosy. The last cleansing happened all the way back in the days of Elisha, that's 2 Kings. And Naaman, a commander of a foreign army, has leprosy, and he hears of this, this prophet of God, this prophet of, of the Jews, of the Israelites, Elisha. And so he sets out to find Elisha. He meets him. Elisha says, God says, wash seven times in the river. And Naaman's furious. What? I could, I could have done this at home. This isn't that special. This is what I wasn't expecting. Grumbles, but he obeys. Washes seven times, and he's cleansed. And Naaman is amazed. He thinks the God of Israel is the only true God. This is the work of the Lord. And before that, maybe the other famous cleansing of leprosy, you have to go all the way back to the time of Exodus. Moses and the Egyptians. And in the book of Numbers, when Moses is trying to lead the people through the wilderness, Miriam opposes him. And in the way she does it, God gets angry with her. And in this particular case, we are told, God does strike her with leprosy as a, a, a disciplinary punishment. Moses intercedes for her, and God graciously heals her. But Miriam has to wait seven days outside the camp. But consider in this chapter, the leper doesn't have to wash seven times. He doesn't have to wait seven days. No, here Jesus heals him immediately. And later in this chapter, if you go down a few verses, Jesus' word is able to heal a servant, and Jesus isn't even there. So Jesus doesn't have to touch the leper. Jesus can heal someone from afar. A few verses down, Matthew tells us that Jesus' word can command the wind and the waves. It'd be nice today. And below that, at the end of the chapter, Jesus' word is sovereign, has the power over violent demons. Who is this man? Jesus is able to heal, instantly heal the, most, the worst imaginable disease of the day by his word. 
and all of this, it confronts us with this big, glorious view of who Jesus is. In this cleansing, Jesus is giving his people a sign that the great, all-powerful God has finally shown up on the scene and he is here to save his people. No more waiting. He's come to bring them hope. Not a wishful hope, oh, yeah. hope tomorrow's nice weather. A sure hope to break the curse of sin. To save his people and to reconcile them to a holy God. And he shows us that nothing's more powerful than God. Not disease, not sickness, not sin. God is holy. And in his holiness, he is able to make us clean. He is able to reverse all the damage we have done. And here, in this healing, we get a, a small glimmer of what is to come in the new earth and the new heavens when Christ returns in the full display of his glory, where there will be no more leprosy, no more disease, no more death, where all of it will be finished. Well, okay, interesting, so what? Well, if you and I, if we're going to see Jesus correctly, we must see him as a sovereign Lord, that he is still sovereign today, even over the worst diseases of our day. That means COVID. That means cancer, HIV, dementia. He is sovereign overall. We might not understand his purposes, and specifically what he, why he does what he does, but we must be able to say in faith, God, you are sovereign. Help me understand as much as I can. But Lord, I trust you. I will trust you and I will not be afraid. We must be able to see Jesus as the one who is sovereign over sin. That he is powerful enough and he is able to cleanse us of our sins. That means he is powerful and gracious enough that he is able to cleanse and forgive the guilt of even the most vile, dirtiest sins we can imagine. The worst thing you have ever done is not beyond the power of the grace of God. And we must see that Jesus is greater than anyone we have ever met in the Old Testament or elsewhere. Moses, Elisha, Muhammad, Buddha, all of them pale in comparison to the person of Christ. Jesus is the long-awaited Lord, the long-awaited Messiah, who has shown up, and he is powerful over the worst of diseases and the worst of sins. Well, secondly, we must see that Jesus is the loving Lord who is willing to cleanse us. Jesus is the loving Lord who is willing to cleanse us. Did you catch the words of the leper in verse 2? He said, if you are willing. Maybe on a lighter note. If you've ever been a child, or you are a child, or your parent, maybe you can imagine this adorable child. It says, Dad, Mom, can we get a puppy? Can we get a kitten? And the, the child, rightly often, believes the parent is able. 
But is the parent willing? Well, here the leper believes, Jesus, you are able. Are you willing? And Jesus says, yes, I am. J.C. Ryle, uh, who's a 19th century Anglican bishop in England, he says on this passage, big giant of a man, here is a word of kindness. I am willing. I am willing to help you as you are to be helped. Christ is a physician who does not need to be sought, for he is always in the way. He does not need to be urged. While we are yet speaking, he already hears. He does not need to be paid. He heals freely, not for price nor reward. He is as willing as he is able to save sinners. Friends, Christ is not stingy or harsh. He is kind and he is gracious. Now, I think that's one of the reasons, maybe not the only one, I think that's one of the reasons Jesus touches the man. Who knows when the last time was he felt the touch of another person? And here, maybe more than the leper truly realizes, here is the Holy Son of God, the only one in history, without sin, without blemish. He reaches out and touches the man. What kindness. What mercy. It does show his sovereign power. Here, Jesus is the one who touches the unclean leper. Jesus is not defiled. Jesus is not made unclean. The leper is made clean. He is the God who reaches out and who touches the lowest of the low. Even when it shocks and it offends those watching. Jesus delights to cleanse all who come to him in sincere faith. He delights to make the unclean clean. To make the dirty holy. This is why he came, to reverse the effects of the fall, to save us from our sin. And this, this will involve physical healing. One day, God is still free to, free to heal as he so chooses, but the greater promise will come after the resurrection of the dead. It is a sure promise, but not fully yet. And more, maybe more importantly, or more importantly, it involves spiritual cleansing before God the Father. You might be thinking, oh, is that just your view? Why are you saying that? Well, do you remember at the beginning of this gospel, in chapter 1, uh, the angel's talking with Mary, and the angel tells Mary, you shall name him Jesus. The angel gives a reason. Do you remember why? The angel says, Mary, you're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so in this cleansing, we get a picture, a snapshot, we see fear physically, what Christ's work will ultimately accomplish spiritually. Well, Jesus is able. He's willing. How does that work? I mean, why do we have to go through all this? Why can't you just say, you're clean, you're clean, let's go home? Well, we're given a hint of how Jesus does this in verse 4. The man is now cleansed of his leprosy, but Jesus tells him to still follow the Levitical law. He's to present himself to the priests and offer sacrifices to God. Maybe just to note, this is one implication of this. Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament law. 
Jesus cares deeply about the Old Testament. To Jesus, the Old Testament is irrelevant. He came not to abolish, but to fulfill. And so in order for the man to re-enter his community, someone must die. Someone must die still to make him clean, to be able to re-enter. And the Old Testament sacrificial system, that would not be a human. That would be animals. Well, here, these animals would be a lamb and two birds. And this foreshadows, this points to how Christ will save his people from our sins and our uncleanness. Jesus himself will serve as the ultimate sacrifice for our cleansing on the cross, where he willingly goes. Jesus will take the place of the leper. Jesus will be sent outside the camp, banished, so that we can sit at the table of God. Jesus will be forsaken in the leper's place, so we may be adopted. And Jesus will be made unclean with our sin, so that in him we are clean, clothed in his righteousness. We are washed clean by his blood. The Apostle John, in 1 John, says, The blood of Jesus, his son, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. So friends, if you are here today, and if you believe that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, the Messiah, if you believe he died for your sins, then you are clean. You are clean in Christ. You have experienced something greater, whether you realize it or not, than the cleansing of this leper. And some of us who have tender consciences, who easily feel the guilt and the weight of our sin, we can often think, well, you don't know what I've done, man. God could never forgive me. Well, our souls must rest in this truth. And if you are like that, like many of us often are, the, the key there is not, do not focus on your past sins, but look to Christ. And some of us, maybe we've gone too casual with our sin. What's the big deal? It's Jesus' job. Our hearts have gone callous. We don't, we don't feel anything anymore. We can sin and we're fine with it. Well, maybe when we see the depths to which Christ went to save us, to make us clean, maybe that will awaken our souls, wake us up from our slumber. Maybe it will help us renew our hearts that we may fight against our sin, that, that we would look upon Christ anew and see just how precious and magnificent He is. Friends, do you see what Christ has done for you? Do you see all the value and the riches there are in Him? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. Lord, great is your name. We have never met anyone like you. You have shown us such kindness, such patience, more than we realize. Lord, forgive us 
correct us, teach us. Lord, strengthen us if we need encouragement. Help us to see you properly. Help us to love you and enjoy you as you made us to. Encourage us to come back to you. For we know you will turn none away who come to you. Not prostitutes, not stubborn fishermen, not lepers. And you will not turn me away. Great is your name. Praise be you. And you are all that we have, Jesus. You are our life now. Amen.